If you would, turn to the Bible to James chapter five. We're coming to the end of the book of James, but this is God's place for us to start a new year. I don't know if you like New Year's resolutions or not. I haven't been all that into them this year. I'm not against them. I like anybody who says I want to do better, try harder, turn a page, start over, begin a new chapter. I like anything like that. It's encouraging. But uh, I wonder what you think about New Year's resolutions. I've heard a few this year. I want to exercise. I want to run a marathon this year. I heard one person say they want to get their car paid off this year. If the stimulus checks keep coming, looks like they might be able to do that. Um, heard somebody say they're going to drink more water this year. Uh, I don't know what resolutions you make, but I'll tell you one I haven't heard yet this year. I want to resolve to clean my mouth up. I haven't heard that one. And living in this dirty world, there should be a lot more of those, shouldn't there? A lot more resolutions to wash our mouths out and take our heart before our Father in heaven and ask that he would tame this wild tongue. In the book of James, he is speaking to our speech over and over and over again. Today we come to James chapter 5 verse 12 and it's just one verse, not because I wanted to single out one verse, but because this verse 12 here in chapter 5 is is so random. It seems like it doesn't fit. And I said this last week, but where where does this go? Does it go with 7 through 11? I'm not really sure. Does it go with 13 to the end of the chapter? I really don't think so. It's odd to see where this fits in. But it's not odd to think that it's real because he's been talking about our speech over and over again. For James, the issue here this morning is not that you say foul words or that your speech is vulgar or that you're crude. It's not that you are such a complainer and you're just a Debbie Downer and negative and pessimistic. It's not that. It's not that we lie as many people do. It's not that. For James, and for us here on the first Sunday of 2021, the issue is, are you a person of your word? Do you have integrity? Do you mean what you say and say what you mean? Do people believe you? Can people believe you? And if you think it's all trivial and it's not really that big of a deal, then perhaps you don't place much of an emphasis on integrity. But if the truths of the gospel are real, then we better be able to say true statements and have people believe us. Like there is a God who made us and we are accountable to him. And he is good and right. And we have wronged him. We rebel against him. We don't love him on our own efforts. We sin against him. We have broken his laws. We have rejected him. And we have condemned ourselves because of that. But... 
that's not the end of the story. And God's big book climaxes in that holy God coming to us, becoming like us, becoming a man, living so beautifully and masterfully as only the perfect God-man could, and then tragically his life ending as he is crucified on a cross, murdered in public before everybody, so that he's a spectacle that everybody stares at and mocks and thinks, well, he really wasn't who he said he was, calling into question the integrity of God himself. As we recall the words in scripture, we thought he was the one to redeem Israel. The world was questioning whether they could believe him during his three years of ministry. And then when he was killed, many, 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 many turned back and did not believe and thought that he was the one, but apparently he wasn't. So they questioned his message. But then three days later, God raised him up and he was alive and he overcame sin and death and the true believers were strengthened like never before and this Holy Spirit came to them and empowered them to go and live and in their going and living, they now make disciples of people that will believe and follow and they believe and follow with faith and repentance. They believe everything that God says and they hate their own sins and they are humbled and broken and they turn to God in repentance asking for forgiveness and there we have the gospel message. And if we're going to talk about that as we should, are people going to believe us? Do we have enough character and integrity that they would listen, that they would open their ears, that they would believe? Integrity is an interesting word, isn't it? It's common enough that you all have heard it before, integrity, character, but it creates an awkwardness. And in our like advancement in you know, uh, personalization and individualism and private lives and all of that, as we just become more and more and more distanced from eye contact and distanced from face-to-face and distanced from touch and distanced from truly having relationships, as we get further and further away from that and we, we know that we are, Conversations around integrity are less and less, aren't they? Integrity gets at your moral character. It gets at how whole and complete you are. It gets at honesty. Perhaps the most well-known practical working definition of integrity is who you are when no one is looking. That statement alone shakes us. It scares us. And we know that even right now, we are happy to be here. We love each other. And there are a lot of good people in this room. I think all of you all are fine people. But it is a scary thing to think that God might turn on the lights and display before other people what we're really like. This is what integrity is. 
Integrity does not speak directly to your speech, but it is an aspect of it as James picks up today. Integrity might be how you treat your wife. Integrity might be how you parent. Integrity might be how you are with your money. Integrity might be your addictions, right? And being honest about all of those things. Integrity speaks to every aspect of our lives, but today we are going to look at the integrity of your speech. Or actually, we're gonna let speech, it's, it's actually not integrity of your speech, it's actually, we're gonna let speech get to our integrity. And if we really want to be worshipers of God, we will listen today. As I said last week, I did not plan this. This is where God has us. James chapter five, verse 12, read with me. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We've seen James week after week now for months be strong, be intense, at times be harsh, and he does it again. Your speech, your integrity and character of your mouth could be bringing condemnation upon you. They're not just words. It's not you didn't mean to say it. As we've reminded ourselves many times through James, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, that whatever comes out of the mouth came off the heart. And this should bother you. This should be a regular conviction of yours, that it's not just words, it's words off the heart. When you say you look ugly, when you say you are a jerk, when you lie, when you fib, when you insult, when you criticize, it was not just from here, it came from here. And if you will not admit that and acknowledge that, then you are in trouble and very well could be under condemnation without the forgiveness of sins that comes through Christ. James is serious about this. I wanna look at it today from three angles. Number one, integrity from your mouth. Now again, this is not James's main point, so bear with me, okay? I wanna be faithful to the Bible, and you're gonna see that in the second point. But because James has brought it up, and because we're nearing the end of James, because James talks to our speech so much, this is a reminder for us. Integrity from your mouth. For Christians, we must see the importance of our speech. It is absolutely critical. In James's five chapters, he speaks to our speech multiple times in every chapter. You're not allowed in James to get past our speech and think, I don't have to hear another sermon on that for a while because James keeps bringing it up and keeps bringing it up. I had said several weeks ago, I think in chapter three, that when James points out that faith without works is dead, because that is the huge theme of James. James chapter two, verse 14, faith without works is dead. I don't care what you say you believe, if you don't have a life working toward obedience or repentance in your disobedience, then you don't really believe. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter how much you say you believe. If you don't have a work toward obedience and or repentance in your disobedience, then you're not really believing. This is James's point. And I said back in chapter three that perhaps 
Our mouth is the primary work. Perhaps your speech is the primary work. And so if you want to, in 2021, live for God, if you want to be faithful to your church and live out the mission statement of of your church, if you want to be a witness in the world, don't think you need to go buy a new devotional. Don't think that you need to start volunteering in the food pantry. Don't think that you need to give more. Start right here. Hit your knees today and say, God, forgive me for how I talk. Integrity from our mouths. Some of you have been laboring and praying for your children to come to Christ, for your parents to come to Christ, for your neighbors to come to Christ, and you just wish that God would save them. And the primary work that needs to happen in your life to be a powerful witness to them is for your speech to come under the power of the Holy Spirit and it be tamed. The Bible says nobody, nobody can tame the tongue, it says in chapter three. Every animal in the world has been tamed. You go to the zoo, they make a lion do little tricks like a dog. You go to the zoo, they make an elephant that weighs four tons do tricks like a dog. They can tame anything. The Bible says nobody can tame the tongue, not you, except God. God can and he will clean up your mouth. He can, and he will. But we must repent, and we must be honest, and we must come to him and say, God, make my mouth look like I worship you. Make my mouth look like I was on my knees last night crying out to you for forgiveness. Make my mouth look like you reign on high. Work in me. And then the primary work of living for God will be started in your life as a mouth, as speech, a tongue that has been surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Integrity from the mouth. In James chapter one, verse 19, James says, we are to be quick to hear and slow to speak. One way that we could start having integrity with our mouths is not be the person who talks too much that doesn't overstep, that doesn't say things that we wish we hadn't said, doesn't say things we wish we could take back, doesn't say things that have offended. This means that we are mindful and careful about what comes out of our mouths. It is a beautiful picture of God's grace working in your lives, sanctification, if you will, that you are learning to think before you speak. We ought to be able to say things like, man, five years ago, I would have just let it go. But I've learned to wait. I've learned to think. I've learned to be patient. I'm being quick to hear, but slow to speak. James chapter one, verse 26 says, and you can turn there if you want to see this amazing verse. If anyone thinks he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And I hate to admit it, that means you and I know a lot of people who say they're Christians, say they're a part of a church, and their religion is worthless. Their tongue is out of control, their speech is not bridled, and you and I both know it does not reflect worship of God. It does not reflect the surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I'm not a hardcore preacher, I'm reading what the Bible says. James chapter one, verse 26. Don't care what you do. If you're not gonna work to get your tongue under control, then your religion is worthless because the Holy Spirit tames the tongue. 
Now, are we all perfect at it? No, but there is this effort of repenting for the things that we wish we hadn't said and this effort to obey with our mouths. James chapter three gets even stronger and you remember that. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. With our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. James wants us to think about our speech. This becomes the issue in the book of James. If we will not watch our mouths, then we have no real witness. Albeit strong acts of works, albeit faithful obedience in other areas, if we will not watch our mouths according to the book of James, then we have no real witness. If we will not watch or control our speech, then, we, then are we even really living for Jesus? But it's not just here in the book of James that integrity from the mouth becomes a big deal. It's not just for James. Do you remember the Ten Commandments way back, the book of Exodus, early on in the Bible, early on in history? God calls Moses up to the mountain. He gives him his law, his standard, his holy ways written in ten rules. And I know you know the Ten Commandments, but out of the ten, two, so one-fifth, if you will, two of the Ten Commandments are directly binding upon how we talk. Number three of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Never should we talk about God in a way that is irreverent, that is not bowed down to him, that does not recognize him as Lord, God, King, and Father. If you understand that his notebook is always open and he has recorded every word you've ever said and you will stand before him and be held accountable, you will not talk about him wrongly. And if you do, you would repent of that and so labor to not do it again. Number three of the Ten Commandments is that. But if that's not strong enough, number nine is just straight up, do not lie. Do not bear false witness. Don't be somebody who says something that is not true. Both of these commandments speak to the mouth. But then we also have Jesus in Matthew chapter five, which is what we read earlier in the service, saying nearly the exact same thing that James says. Undoubtedly, James probably got this straight from Jesus when Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. This is Jesus talking. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. James says, if your yes is not yes and your no is not no, then you bring yourself under condemnation. Jesus says that if your yes is not yes and your no is not no, then you are now being influenced by the evil one to not speak truthfully. 
we see that speech becomes such a huge deal. We recall the Israelites in the Old Testament complaining and grumbling on a regular basis. To know their story is to know that they were complainers and God hated it. We recall Job and his questioning. And Job's a fascinating study because he never broke. He, he never actually gave in. He never gave up. He kept believing. But we see in his stumbling and in his, in his weakness, he becomes a questioner and a doubter with his with his questioning of God. We remember in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five killed on the spot in the church because they gave so much money to the church. You remember this? They were the biggest givers in the church, but they weren't honest about it. They said they were given 100% of their sales to the church and they had only given 50% of their sales to the church. They're still the biggest givers in the church and God struck them dead. Not Old Testament. New Testament, wasn't that long ago? Wasn't that long ago that happened? Because they weren't honest, because of what they said. If you're looking at how much they give, they are fine examples, put their name on whatever they bought, if it's only according to their giving, but the primary work is your mouth, and that killed them. The issue here is your integrity. What does your mouth say about you? Your mouth reveals your heart, your integrity, your character. It reveals what you really value. It reveals whether you think God sees and knows and hears and cares. There are other ways to reveal your integrity. The mouth is perhaps the first place to start. In our call to worship today in Psalm chapter five, verse six, which wasn't even in my preparation, God says, he destroys all those that speak lies. And then he says in Psalm 5, verse six, the Lord hates deceitfulness. As my boys are getting a little bit older, it's time for them to start taking their basketball to the park, learn to play with some tough guys. You can't just always shoot in the backyard by yourself because then you never get challenged and pushed down and you never lose and all of that. And so we've started going to the park. Now, I don't know if they're old enough, big enough to go to the park by themselves and play. Who knows what happened? Might get shot. But sometimes we go together. And when you put a fourth grader with a 41-year-old, you never know what's gonna happen. But we've been playing some four-on-four -four at the park with other people. It's been fun. We've had a great time as I'm trying to be a dad and we play ball together. But if you've ever played basketball at the park, it can be one of the crudest, foulest places to ever play ball. And the other day we were leaving after playing for a while, we had a great time, and we got back in the car, my kids said, they were saying some bad things, and they were. I mean, really bad things. I bet during those basketball games, our kids heard the F word probably 50 times in a basketball game. Now for street basketball, that's kind of normal. But here's why I tell you that. Nobody would think, nobody, nobody literally would think that those basketball players have been thinking about their integrity from the heart. You see what I mean by integrity from the mouth? Now, I'm not saying they're bad kids. It could be great guys. It could be great children. Hey, might have been playing with some of y'all. Matter of fact, I have been playing with some of y'all's families before. 
I'm not saying they're bad kids. What I am saying is I don't think for a second that they have been mindful of their speech reflecting their maker. I don't think for a second. Now, do they go to church? Have they been baptized? Did you give them a Bible for Christmas? Probably so. If they knew that I was the pastor, would they have cleaned it up? Probably so. I'm not saying any of that. Does their mom think they're saved and born again? Probably so. What I am saying is I don't think for a second that before they got out of the car at the park, they said, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, God, as we go play ball. Thank you for the opportunity in this weather to shoot. You see what I mean about integrity? Who gives a rip about what you say about your faith if God does not reign in your heart and over your mouth? And we all know that to be true. But because we will not take it serious, we try to come back with these other works that we try to build upon this missing work to try to prove that we're Christian. And James won't let us do that. James is looking for integrity from the mouth. But that's really not what this verse is about. This verse is about integrity being seen from the mouth. So my second point, first point is integrity from your mouth, but my second point is now integrity from yourself. Meaning, do people believe you? This is James's point. Look at verse 12, okay? I don't want y'all to think that I'm just skipping over what it's actually about. He says this thing here above all, which is just incredibly puzzling. Because James has talked about caring for orphans and widows. James has talked about keeping yourself unstained from the world, right? James has talked about the golden rule and the royal law here. James has talked about some major things. Does James really think that swearing or taking an oath is the most important thing? He uses above all here. And I'm just going to be honest. I don't know what above all means here. He means it's a big deal. If he's pointing to our speech, then, then maybe that the speech is the primary word. I don't think that's what he's saying here because he's talking about integrity here. It's not so much about speech. But he says above all. And so that means most importantly, first things first, above all. Look what he says, my brothers, do not swear. Now what he means by swear, again, he doesn't mean bad words. He doesn't mean lies. He doesn't mean that. He means taking an oath. Okay, he says, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by any other oath. Don't do that. Now, there's a big conversation that happens where Christians will ask, is it a sin to swear? And we gotta be careful with saying it is. If all you ever read is this verse by itself, then you might come to that conclusion. But you've gotta remember that other people swore. Paul swore, Jesus swore at times. We see other people making oaths before. And so we need to take it all together. The issue here is the integrity. I don't necessarily think it's wrong to swear. Now, why would you do it is another conversation. But notice here that the problem is that our yes or our no is not enough. And this is what James chapter five, verse 12 is about. Why do we swear even in the first place? You've all heard somebody say, man, I swear on my granny's grave. You've all heard somebody say, man, I swear to God. Man, I, I went and did this, and somebody says, shut up. No, you didn't, man. You're lying. Said, man, I swear to you. I said, no, you didn't. I don't believe you. I said, man, I swear to God. I swear to God with my hand on the Bible, right? You hear people say that stuff all the time. God's saying don't do that. But why do people do that? But listen, they are trying to make them believe us. 
No, we're trying to make them believe us. They are trying to make us believe them. Sorry, I said that wrong. But do we not? And here you see James's whole point. You have to swear when people don't believe you. Think about Jesus saying something strong like, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back. And everybody going, no, you won't. You can't. You don't have the power to. Man, go get my grandma. I'll show you, man. Can you imagine Jesus trying to talk like that? Jesus just said what he said. And it's up to them to believe it. And he's kept all of his promises. He's faithful. So the issue here is integrity. Integrity from ourselves. We do this. We swear on things. When, we, when our character integrity isn't strong enough. And man, that hurts, doesn't it? If you're one of these people that swears like this, this hurts to hear this because it means your, your yes wasn't believable enough. And so you're trying to find something that is believable to swear upon. Hey, I know you're not gonna believe me, but let me bring God into it. Well, God should have already been into it. Your knees should have been bowed to God already. You told me they were when you said you were a Christian. Your heart was supposed to be surrendered to him when you said you follow Christ. When you sang those songs that we just sang, that was to be worship, and we don't worship from a fake, hidden heart, lacking integrity and character. That's not what a real Christian is. We make these swearing oaths when our character and integrity isn't strong enough. We make these when when we aren't trustworthy enough. They're never gonna believe me. What else can I say? What else can I do to try to get them to believe me? James and Jesus both, Matthew 5, James 5, bringing up, are bringing up the exact same subject, swearing and oaths, getting us to think, how do we get somebody to trust us? In Psalm 20, verse seven, it gives us an example of going outside of ourselves. But speaking of war, it says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Big elements of war. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. So what happens here is we find ourselves being challenged. Why do we try to swear to strengthen our honest, strengthen our honesty? And why do we have to? Do they not Believe us. I want to ask you, where does your integrity come from? Is your integrity real? Or is your integrity one where you are trying to control what they see and what you can control while simultaneously hiding what you don't want anybody else to see so that that 
fake integrity and that fake character keeps looking like what you and only you think is good. That's not integrity. Remember the practical working definition? Integrity is who you are when no one is looking. So your yes is your yes and your no is your no. As pastor, I get to do all sorts of neat things and sometimes some wild things. We get called all the time to step into situations. And we get called to come to a house and pray for people that we've never met. We get called to do funerals or weddings for people that we've never met. We get called to counsel people that we've never met. And we find ourselves in all sorts of situations. And several years ago, I found myself in a position where I was the court-ordered supervisor between a, a mom and a child. This mom had the rights to meet with her child one hour every two weeks, that's it. One hour every two weeks, that's it. Now that's pretty minimal. That equals two hours a month. That equals 24 hours, which is only one day for a year. One hour every two weeks, which is two hours a month, which turns out to be 24 hours a year. That was what the court order, and they had to, court order, and they had to find a supervisor that would sit in on that. So I got asked by these folks if I would do that, and I said yes, and so we would do it. That was heavy. Because we would meet on like Thursdays at four o'clock. The kid would be here looking out the window hoping, can't wait. And often, the mom would never even come. And I think it was like, if she's not there in 15 minutes, then everybody's supposed to go home. And so as it would become 4.15, he would say, the person that brought him would say, all right, I think we're gonna just leave and she's probably got something going on. And the kid would say, well, can we just stay? I think she's coming. She told me she was coming. And it would get real awkward. And then sometimes she would call and say that she's coming. Hey, is he there? Yeah, he's here. Okay, I'm on my way. I'm just gonna be a little bit late. Okay. So I'd tell the family and we'd sit there waiting and then about 30 minutes later, remember she only gets an hour, about 30 minutes later she'd call and she'd say, hey, I'm not gonna come now, I got some stuff going on, but if you would, man, just, just tell him that I love him. And I wanna be honest with you all, there were a lot of times where I was thinking, I don't know if I should. I don't know if I should relay that message. I think that may hurt more. That may make trust less. That may make belief in words and promises weaker. And I remember talking to the mom many times and saying, look, we're pretty easy going here. If I were you, I'd show up an hour early and I would maximize every bit. I would, get, I would turn that one hour into two hours. I would stay, I would arrive early and I would stay late and I would do everything you can. I'd turn two hours a month into four hours a month just by lingering a little bit longer. I would maximize every bit. This is your child. 
I remember having those conversations. As I saw this happen so very often, I found myself complexed, honestly, with what does that kid think? What does he think about a mom's words? What does he think when somebody says, hey, I'll meet you there? He thinks, no, you won't. What does he think when somebody says to him, I love you, man? He thinks, no, you don't. What does he think when somebody says, I'll be there for you? See, integrity gets at who you really are. And you can't find integrity simply from yourselves. God is God. He sees everything. And we are to bring ourselves underneath him and allow who he is, what he says about us, how he defines us, to be where we work from with our outward living, with all of our actions and our speech. So we have integrity from the mouth, and we have integrity from ourselves, but lastly, we have integrity from our Savior, meaning we don't hide anything. Who we are right now, right here, is who we really are. We don't hide things. We will be honest about everything. We repent when we're wrong. We confess when we're wrong. We admit it when we're wrong. This is Christianity. This is the most freeing way to live in the whole world. If we lie, we admit that we lied, and God forgives it. If we've been proud, we admit that we're proud, and God forgives it. If we've been a bad dad at home, which we all have, we don't fake it like we're not a bad dad. We admit that we're a bad dad at times and we repent to God. We apologize to our children. We hug their neck and we say, guys, I'm a work in progress. Our integrity comes from having a faithful view of a savior who sees everything about us. He knows everything we said. Nothing is hidden from his sight and we believe it, we admit it, and we confess it to him and we allow him to forgive us and we walk in the identity that hides nothing it covers up nothing and it is that person that has integrity let me let me turn on the light bulb for a second the people that you know that you think have integrity are not saints they are not perfect they are not those who never mess up they are the ones who are brutally honest about their flaws they are the people who will apologize anywhere. They are the people who have been humbled by God, and so they are humble before you. And the people that are hard-headed, and the people that are stubborn, and the people that are good, but not necessarily having integrity, are the ones who are still hiding things. And that is not what God wants from us. Do you remember the woman at the well, Jesus, John chapter four? And you remember she had had all these husbands, and surely Jesus is, she's not wanting Jesus to know, Right? You just find yourself in a public conversation, right? right? The next time you're in line at Kroger, see if you can get into a conversation about how many men you've been with, right? Or see how many women you've been with in Kroger. See how that goes, right? Nobody wants to have that conversation. But her and Jesus had that conversation. And surely she didn't want it to go there. But do you remember what happened once God forgave her of her sins and changed her life? The freeing statement from her was, he told me everything I've ever done. 
He knows how foolish I am and how rebellious I am. He knows my flaws. I don't have to keep from him how many people I've been with. He already knows. I have to tell him that I was wrong about that. I have to say, God, forgive me of that. I have to say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, restore me. You know everything about me. And there is integrity. This woman at the well had integrity after the well, not because she never sinned, but because she was honest about her sins and forgiven because of her Savior. That is is beautiful. She's our sister in Christ. We will see her in heaven and we will not judge her because she had had so many husbands. We don't even care. I sin just as much as she does, just in different ways. Isn't that awesome? That's a savior. That is God. That is a life being defined by God. When we have people, Christians and church people, who just hide things and don't want us to know about things, all we're doing is becoming more and more and more self-righteous, and it works its way out ugly through our speech oftentimes, and everybody else thinks that's not a witness to the glory of God, that's a witness against the glory of God. We are to have integrity from our Savior, live from faith, believing the gospel, Understanding that when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross seeing everything we've done. Nothing is hidden. And he loves us still in that way. And so James and Jesus are able to say, hey, listen, don't try to take your weak integrity and look for something that's trustworthy. Okay, okay, you don't believe me? All right, here we go. I promise that I'm saying the truth right here. That's ridiculous. Putting your hand on this doesn't make you any more honest than anything else. Bowing your knee and your heart before God does. It actually, I don't want to get into a big whole like court order conversation. When somebody makes you do this, it's saying, because if you didn't do that, we weren't going to believe you. That's what's happening. I need you to really put your hand on here because this is a serious conversation. You can't lie here. And if you don't put your hand on here, there's a pretty good chance you'd be lying about this. That's what's going on. It's all integrity type stuff. And God and the Bible and James and Jesus are saying, hey, listen, if your knees and your heart are surrendered to God Almighty, his son, Jesus, be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We've gotten so busy, haven't we, that we really struggle to keep our word, right? Right? It's kind of funny with texting how much we have to reassure ourselves. You ever had somebody come to pick you up that's say like an older person? You called them three days ago and just said, hey, I need you to pick me up Friday at noon. And then nothing else is said. You told an older person Friday at noon and here it is Sunday. Guess what? They're gonna be there Friday at noon. You didn't have to call them last night to remind them or anything. But you ever tried to have a 25-year-old pick you up? I know we talked about it last Wednesday at church, Friday at noon, but I'm just gonna call you and remind you to Friday at noon. Then Friday morning when you woke up, hey, just a reminder, you're picking me up Friday at noon. And then the person that's coming, right? Hey, leaving the driveway now. I know y'all do this. Hey, leaving the driveway now. Hey, I'm on my way. Hey, I'm about to pull in, okay? Because we're not sure if they're gonna keep their promise. Now, that just may be that we're busy and distracted. It's not necessarily speaking to your character, I hope, your integrity, but we need to believe what God says about what's going on inside of us. You know, it wouldn't have been my idea to start with speech and integrity at the first of 2021, but James has brought us here with James 5.12. And may we resolve, I'm serious, that when you say anything, mean it. 
Have integrity, not because you were raised so right and your mom taught you better than that, but have integrity because your integrity comes from your Savior. You have bowed to him. You believe him. You are a follower of Christ. And who you are looking at him and believing him now shapes your life. And in closing, I just want to give you a handful of examples here that should really get us going in the right direction. When we distribute 5,000 pounds of food in a single day like we do every Wednesday, and we tell people in the parking lot who come here in need, we tell them, hey, we love you guys. If we can help you with anything, let us know. Do you think they believe us? Or do you think we, they know we got a partnership with Dare to Care, we're just giving the food? Or do you think they're just thinking, they're just doing it to, to, to boast how good they are? When we tell a family that's new to our church that we wanna be a good church family to them, they believe us? Or is that just lip service to try to boost our numbers? Or are we a church family that cares for people? When we say that we're gonna be praying for a situation, do we pray about it? If you're not gonna pray about it, don't tell us that. Is God hearing those prayers? Did he answer them? Is he working through it? When we say that Jesus is the most important thing in the world, Lord, Savior, God, and King, Master, when we say that Jesus Christ is our treasure, do they think we mean that? Or did our speech just absolutely cancel it out? When we say yes or no to somebody, do they believe us? When we say that hell is real and everybody outside of Christ is going there, do they believe us? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, there are some people that believe that and when they say that, people listen. When you tell a loved one that you're disappointed in them, does it wake them up because they trust your heart? When we warn people that we think that they're in trouble because they're not focused on Jesus, does it raise concern in them because they know we mean what we say? This is what James was about. James wanted the people of God to live for God. And the way we do that starts, doesn't end necessarily there, but it starts with our speech. If you have not taken your speech serious, if you are not a man or woman of your word, praise God for his word for he has gotten your attention in that area today. And may we begin. And just imagine how different your circles will be, your work, your home, this community. Imagine how different it would be if starting tomorrow, your mouth is changed. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for James chapter five, verse 12, and this above all statement to not swear. Father, may we be people humbled before you that take our speech seriously. And Father, we pray, we ask God that you would lead us to repent of this. Help us to not walk out of here. God, help us to bring ourselves before you so that when we think of integrity, we think of integrity from the Savior, hiding nothing, being honest. Father, lead us to respond now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.